Welcome to the Ray of Hope Church podcast. We believe that hope changes everything, so get ready for an encouraging message from the Word of God. We pray that you would receive wisdom and revelation as you grow in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, good to see you tonight. We are so glad that you are here. And uh, I want to just share a couple of verses right before uh, what Matt mentioned this morning and preached on out of uh, the book of Ephesians chapter 3 before Paul said that uh, he can do exceedingly abundantly above all we can think or ask in chapters uh, in chapter 2 verses uh, 17 and 18 he said that he wanted Christ to dwell in our hearts we needed to be grounded in love verse 18 he said we need to be able to comprehend what is the width and the length and the height and the depth of the love of Christ and then verse 19 he said it passes all knowledge so I find that interesting he said I want you to know it but you'll never know it it's so wide it is so deep it is so long it is so high you will never get to the length of it or the breadth of it or the height of it or the depth of it how many know that is absolutely true so I was thinking about that this afternoon I've got about 50 uh, heifers down here on wheat and I thought if I lined them all up and started teaching them physics, they would probably look at me about the way that God looks at us sometimes when we're trying to comprehend who he is and how powerful he is. But Paul said we need to try to comprehend him and to know him, how big he is. And so that's what we're doing on this series of apologetics. So the word comes from the Greek, it is when Peter writes to us in his letter, and he said, if someone asks you about the Lord and your faith in him and your hope in him, he said, you need to give the apologia or give the reason, the defense, and the hope that you have in Jesus Christ. And so from there, we have to understand that we are to give a reason and a hope of why we believe what we believe. And so tonight, that's what we're doing. So let me ask you a question. If someone comes to you and says, I don't believe in Jesus because I don't believe in the Bible, and here's the next line, are there any references of Jesus outside the Bible? And the answer is yes, and there's several. And you may not know them, but tonight when you leave, you will know them. And so let's start with the first group, and it's early Christian writers. Say that with me early Christian writers. So someone's going to say, well, sure, they're Christians, and they're going to write about Jesus, and so they're going to be a little, uh, uh, I guess, prone to write what they believe, and that certainly is true. But yet we do have records outside the Bible of the things that Jesus did. So let's look at six early Christian writers. The first one is Clement. He was a first century leader in the church at Rome, and he wrote a letter to the church at Corinth somewhere around 70 to 96 AD. And in that letter, he speaks of the teachings of Jesus, his death, his resurrection from the dead. And Clement is regarded to be the successor of Peter after Peter's death in Rome. Now, we know Peter was crucified, and uh, many historians believe that when Peter knew he was going to die, he turned to Clement and said, you take over this ministry here in Rome. The second one is Ignatius of Antioch. He wrote a letter to the church at Smyrna somewhere about 110 
A.D., and in that letter he claims that Jesus was crucified under Pontius Pilate and Herod, and that he suffered all these things for us, and he suffered them really and not in appearance only, even as also he truly rose again. And Ignatius is thought to be a disciple of John the Apostle. Then there's Polycarp, and you know, they tried to uh, martyr Polycarp, and uh, history says that they could not kill him, but later he did die as a martyr. And in his letter to the Philippian church, he affirmed that Jesus lived and died, and he was said to have been taught uh, directly by the original apostles, and most believe he was taught by the apostle John also. And then there's Justin Martyr. And many of these names, how many of you have heard a lot of these names? Absolutely. So he, in his first apology, somewhere around A.D. 155 to 157, argues that Jesus was a teacher, he was crucified, he died, and he rose again. And then there's Papias, somewhere around 95 A.D. to 110, wrote that he learned of Jesus' teaching directly from those who heard him in person. So he is someone who was taught by those who were with Jesus personally. Quatratikas was a early Christian apologist who wrote a letter to the emperor Hadrian in defense of Christianity. In it he stated, but the works of our Savior were always present for they were genuine. Those that were healed and those that were raised from the dead who were seen not only when they were healed and when they were raised, but were also always present and not merely while the Savior was on the earth, but also after his death, they were alive for quite a while so that some of them lived even to our day. So what he's saying is that Jesus raised people from the dead. They were still alive when Jesus ascended. They were alive after Jesus left, and some are still alive even to this day. That's a powerful, powerful statement, isn't it? So it's not just something that they'd heard about, but there was even some of the evidence still around. Now let's shift gears, and we're going to look at some of historians that really weren't Christians. So one is Phlegon, and he was writing somewhere around 140 A.D., and many times these writings are lost to history, but other early historians wrote from their writings, even though the writings did not survive. They referred to the writings, but the second writings did survive. So in his 13th and 14th book, now this is not historian writing, he ascribes to Jesus the knowledge of future events that Jesus could predict the future or prophecy, and he testified the results that corresponded to his prediction. So what he said actually did come true. And in regard to the eclipse in the time of Tiberius Caesar, in whose reign Jesus appears to have been crucified, and great earthquakes which took place, Phlegon too, I think, has written in the 13th or 14th book of his Chronicles. And we have in the preceding pages made our defense according to our ability, adducing the testimony of Phlegon, who relates that these events took place at the time when our Savior suffered. And he goes on to say that Jesus, while alive, was of no assistance to himself, but he arose after death, exhibited the marks of his punishment, and showed his hands had been pierced by nails. So this is historical writings. Another one is Thallus. He wrote about A.D. 55. So this is very close to the... Um, 
the ascension to Jesus. We're talking only about 20, 30, 40 years. So Thallus' work has been lost, but some of the fragments was quoted by Julius Africus about uh, A.D. 22, and then it was referred to in A.D. 18, and this is what he uh, wrote. He discussed the darkness that accompanied the crucifixion of Jesus, and he wrote, "...on the whole world there pressed a most fearful darkness." And the rocks were rent by an earthquake in many places in Judea, and other districts were thrown down. This darkness, Thallus, in the third book of his history calls, as appears to me without reason, an eclipse of the sun. So he's writing, at the time Jesus was crucified, there was darkness, there were earthquakes, and it wasn't just in the region of Judea or Jerusalem, it was throughout all the districts. That's very interesting. Here's another one, Celsus, uh, 175 A.D. He was a second century Greek philosopher who wrote a treaty uh, attacking Christianity called True Doctrine. So there again, there is uh, you know, some debate and some banter and rhetoric going back and forth. So he claims the, the following in an imitation of, 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 of the rhetoric training a pupil. He introduces a Jew. Now, th this is uh, kind of um, what you would say, a play with words. He introduces a Jew, speaks in very childless manner, altogether unworthy of the gray hairs of a philosopher. He says, let me, to the best of my ability, examine his statements and show that he does not maintain, maintain throughout the discussion the consistency due to the character of a Jew. He represents himself disputing with Jesus, confuting him as he thinks on many points, and in the first place, he accuses him of having invented his birth from a virgin and upbraids him for being born in a certain Jewish village of a poor woman of the country who gained her substance by spinning, who was turned out of the doors by her husband, a carpenter by trade, because she was convicted of adultery after being driven away by her husband, wandering about for a time, she disgracefully gave birth to Jesus, an illegitimate child, who having hired himself out as a servant in Egypt on account of his poverty, and having there acquired some miraculous powers on which the Egyptians greatly prided themselves, returned to his own country, highly elated on the account of them, and by means of those proclaimed himself a God. So he is refuting Jesus and his claims and giving the reason why he doesn't believe in Jesus. But yet, historically, what is he saying? There was a Jesus. Lucian of Samosota. Uh, Lucian was a famous Greek satirist who referred to Jesus in his work, The Death of Peregrine. And he writes, The Christians you know worship this man to this day, the distinguished personage who introduced their novel rites, and was crucified on that account. You see, these misguided creatures, now these guys aren't favorable to Christians, but they're writing in history about Christians and Jesus. Uh, you see, these misguided creatures start with the general conviction that they are immortal all the time, which explains their contempt of death and voluntary, uh, voluntary self-devotion, and which are so common among them. And when it was impressed on them by their original lawgiver that they're all brothers from the moment they are converted and deny the gods of Greece and worship the crucified sage and live after his law. So there he's talking about early Christians. 
Then there's Marv Ben Serapion. Uh, he is um, a, a historian. His city was destroyed by the Romans who occupied the land. He's writing a letter back to his son, and in it he refers to Jesus. What else can we say when the wise are forcibly dragged off by tyrants, their wisdom is captured by insults, and their minds are oppressed without defense? What advantage did the Athenians gain by murdering Socrates, for which they were repaid with famine and pestilence, or the people of Samos by burning Pythagoras because their country was completely covered in sand in just one hour, or the Jews by killing their wise king because their kingdom was taken away at that very time? God justly repaid the wisdom of these three men. The Athenians died of famine. The, the Samians were completely overwhelmed by the sea, and the Jews, desolate and driven from their own kingdom, are scattered through every nation. Socrates is not dead because of Plato, neither Pythagoras because of the statue of Juno, nor the wise king because of the new laws that he laid down. So he refers to Jesus again. Then Pliny the Younger, he wrote about A.D. 112, and um, his letters are in the, um, the Gutenberg collection. He is a Roman governor in Bithynia. Uh, he is a writing to the emperor Trajan, who is the Roman emperor. He's asking for advice on how uh, to prosecute Christians. And in his letter, he describes his procedure to Trajan. He said, others whose names were given to me by an informer, he's uh, finding out who's Christians, first said that they were Christians and afterwards they denied it, declaring that they had been put, uh, they, had no they were but they were no longer, some of them having recanted many years before and more than one so long as back as 20 years. They all worship your image and the statue of the deities and curse the name of Christ. But they declared that the sum of their guilt or their error only amounted to this and that on that stated day they had been accustomed to meet before daybreak to recite a hymn among themselves to Christ as though he were a God, and that they so far from binding themselves by oath to keep themselves from committing crime, their oath was to abstain from theft, robbery, adultery, and from breach of faith, and not to deny trust money placed in their keeping when called upon to deliver." So in his letter, he reveals that Christ was real, and this is a historical figure. Sidonius, uh, AD 120, uh, from his writings, he says this, Since the Jews constantly made disturbances at the instigation of Christus or Christ, he expelled them from Rome. Now he's talking about Domitian uh, expelling the, the uh, Christians from Rome. And this is actually found in Acts chapter 18, verse 2. Let me read it. And he found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all Jews to depart from Rome, and he came to them. So not only did Suetonius talk about this, but the Bible in the book of Acts actually records that expulsion from Rome. Then Josephus, how many of you have heard of Josephus? That's probably the most uh, uh, common name here, about uh, AD 93. Josephus is a Jewish historian. He wrote Antiquity of the Jews. 
And in his work, he wrote, At this time, there was a wise man who was called Jesus. His conduct was good. He was known to be virtuous, and many people from among the Jews and other nations became his disciple. Pilate condemned him to be crucified and to die, but those who had become his disciples did not abandon his discipleship. They reported that he had appeared to them three days after his crucifixion, that he was alive, and accordingly he was perhaps the Messiah concerning whom the prophets had recounted wonders. Boy, these are all very clear historic references about Christ. Now the last one, Tacitus, he was a Roman historian. He left two major works. He covered the Roman Empire from um, 14 to, to AD 68 and then 69 to 96. And he wrote about, and this is where we get, how many of you ever heard um, uh, Nero fiddled while Rome burned? Have you ever heard that term? So this is where we get uh, this uh, account. He said, consequently, to get rid of the report, Nero fastened the guilt and inflicted the most exquisite tortures on a class hated for their abomination called Christians by the populace. Christus, talking about Christ, from whom the name had its origin, suffered the extreme penalty during the reign of Tiberius at the hands of one of our uh, uh, procreators, uh, Pontius Pilate, and most mischievous superstition, then checked for the moment, again broke out not only, uh, they checked it, but then it not only broke out in Judea, the first source, but the evil, then came to Rome, where all things hideous and shameful from every part of the world find their center and became popular. So what he's doing, he's saying that Nero tried to put the blame of the fire in Rome on Christians. So um, a writing by Brian Wendell in biblical archaeology, he, he, he wrote this. He said, just from the accounts of secular historians, not including the Bible, this is what we can know. Listen up. Jesus was reported to have been of a poor, born of a poor virgin, and his father was a carpenter. He was a teacher. His disciples passed on his teachings to others. He prophesied. He performed miracles. He was known for his wisdom and his virtuous life. He claimed to be God. He was crucified by Pontius Pilate during the reign of Tiberius Caesar in Judea. That an earthquake and darkness accompanied his death. His followers reported that he had risen from the dead, appeared to them, showed them the wounds in his hands. His followers worshipped him as God. Belief in Jesus called disturbances with the Jews, which led Claudius to decree for the Jews to leave Rome. All of those were not from the Bible. But you think about that. Every one of those is from an extra-biblical account from historical writings, not by biblical writers. So young people, listen to me. When someone comes and says, I can't believe in Jesus because I don't believe the Bible, then your response should be, there are many other references to Christ outside of the Bible. Now, I know that was a long thing that I just read and gave you a lot of names, but how many of you know we need to learn how to defend our faith? Because there's going to be some goofus that's going to come up to you. How many of you know that goofus? They're going to tell you, I don't believe in Christ, I don't believe in the Bible, because, you know, there's no other reference to him outside the Bible. How many of you know that's absolutely not true? 
There are many references to Jesus outside of the Word of God. Now, the Word of God should be enough because we have many uh, accounts and references by many people just in the New Testament writings. But that's not all that we have. So there's many other sources outside the Bible. And we as believers need to know that. So if you were with us a week ago Sunday, we said that nearly every scientist today believes that there was a moment the universe started. They describe it as the Big Bang, or there was a moment it, it started. And the universe is still expanding to this day. And I don't know if you've ever heard of the James Webb uh, Telescope, which is the new one that is more uh, um, uh, powerful than the Hubble uh, Telescope. And someone uh, met me after I did the, uh, the apologetics on last Sunday and was sharing some things that uh, has even occurred just in the last few weeks. And there again, I got online and even learned that we're having to rewrite science because of the discoveries that are happening almost weekly. And so when you get locked in to say, well, that's absolutely the way it is, how many of you know next month it's not going to be absolutely the way it is? Because we're discovering new things, and there are new things on the horizon that is happening over and over and day by day and week by week. So we want to understand that we are believers, we believe the Word of God, and we also said for someone or something to create the universe, that someone or something had to be on, be beyond time, space, and matter. Say that with me, time, space, and matter. So in the first verse of the Bible, in the beginning time, God created the heaven, space, and the earth matter. So in the very beginning of the Bible, the very things we need for creation, we have in the first verse. And I, I want to just hone in on one thing, and, and I'm not going to hold you long, famous words of a preacher, right? So if, if time, space, and matter is necessary, and if we believe, and we do, that God created the heavens and the earth, then he is beyond time, he's beyond space, and he's beyond matter. So, so God dwells outside of time. He's the God who was and is and is to come. He dwells in the past, the present, the future, all at the same time. T time doesn't restrict him. Does us. That's why he's the eternal God. Also, he is really outside of space. David in the Psalms said this, where, where do I go to escape your presence? If I go to heaven, you're there. If I go to the depths of the ocean, you're there. If I make my bed in hell, you're there. What is he saying? God, you're everywhere. You, you, you define space. Uh, you, you, you defy space. You define space. So, you know, I, I can only be one place at a time. One space. Not God. He's everywhere. He, he's everywhere at all times. And he's also beyond matter. Now, why does that matter that he's beyond matter? Well, I'm going to tell you why. Because matter has to respond to physical laws and the laws of nature. How many of you agree on that? So, so matter has to respond to physical laws and natural forces. So to change natural laws and physical forces, you have to be beyond that to alter it. So I could go out here to the top of the church and say I'm going to defy gravity. I can defy it all the way down. 
But at the end, how many of you know gravity is going to win? But if I'm beyond time and beyond space and beyond matter, then I could change that any time I wanted to because I'm not held hostage by it. Okay, how many of you are thinking with me? This is important. But if I'm not beyond time and if I'm not beyond space and not beyond matter, then I'm locked into the physical laws and the forces of nature. But if I'm beyond that, I'm not locked into it. How many of you tracking with me? And so the things that defy natural law and physical law and natural forces, let me tell you what we call them. We call them miracles. You need to follow me on this thought because this is going to help you. So if I'm locked into natural law, natural forces, then I cannot produce a miracle. And you cannot produce a miracle. Now, we can be products of miracles, but the one who does the miracle is beyond time, space, and matter. He is not tied to those rules because what? He is beyond them. So have you ever maybe seen someone do this or maybe you've done it yourself, and I have. Um, let, let's say you, uh, you own something and you, you, you have a price on it and you know, someone comes in, they're buying things and you see somebody that you, you just want to bless. Then you go up and you get it. What do you do? You just give it to them. You say, well, why don't you give it to them and everybody else to, to, to buy? If you own it, you can do whatever you want to with it. Okay, you, you're tracking with me? So if you own it, you can do anything you want to with it because you own it. Um, have you ever been in line and someone come up to you and said, hey, why don't you move to the front of the line? If you have the power to do that, I mean, go after it. So God is not restricted by time, space, and matter. He can operate outside of that. And every time he operates outside of that, we see it as what? A miracle. Okay? So I, I want you to look at just a couple of verses here. This is Jeremiah thirty-two twenty-seven. I am the Lord, the God of all my, mankind. Is anything too hard for me? Luke 18, 27. Jesus replied, what is impossible with man is possible with God. So why is Jeremiah saying this? Why is Luke saying this? This is the Lord. This is Jesus saying this. This is what is being said. I am beyond all this. I can do whatever I want to because I'm not tied to time, space, and matter. And whenever he does it, it becomes a miracle. So let's just think about, and, and this is not going to be exhaustive. We'd be here till tomorrow. So he, here is some natural things that became supernatural or beyond the natural let's talk about creation beyond what we think is natural yeah what about Enoch's translation he walked with God and what was not I mean the Lord took him the flood uh, remember uh, the sodomites were blinded um, fire and brimstone came down and destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah Lot's wife turned into a pillar of salt. The burning bush. Moses' rod turns into a serpent. There are ten plague, plagues on Egypt. Pillar of a cloud by day, a fire by night, 
parting of the Red Sea, manna from heaven, water from the rock. How many of those all defy what? They all defy the natural, physical laws. So can God step out of the physical laws, the laws of nature, and say, no, I'm going to do this? And the answer is what? Absolutely, I can. And when he does, it becomes what we know as a miracle. And we just listed a few of them. But think about this. What about fire coming down from heaven and consuming the altar uh, and, and the, the sacrifice and the rocks and the dust and the water on Mount Carmel? Miracle. Or if you, you know, heal something with the meal barrel or you, you know, have just various miracles all through the Old Testament. So we, we see miracle after miracle after miracle. I mean, God's able to shut the, the, the mouth of lions. He can keep fire from burning you. How can he do that? Because he's beyond those laws. If he's outside of them, then he's beyond them. And he can say, no, that's not going to hurt you. That's not going to harm you. I'll shut the mouth of the lions. Uh, I, I can part the sea. I can rain down bread from heaven. I'll blow in quail on the east wind. Why can you do that? Because I'm not tied by physical laws of nature or matter. I can even step out on a boat and talk to creation and say, quit blowing wind and waves get still. Why? Because I'm beyond matter. I can't do that. You can't do that. Now, let me just give you a caveat here. We can do that if God's with us and he, he enables us to do that, right? But how many of you know it's his power that's beyond the matter and the physical and the natural? And those things that we see, we call them miracles. Now, with Pastor Matt, I had this uh, discussion with him earlier today. Have you ever had someone say, I'm a believer, I believe in Jesus, but I just can't believe all that stuff that happened in the Old Testament? Have you ever heard of somebody just give you that little line? Here's their problem. And if you believe that, here's your problem. Because in the New Testament, Jesus affirmed those miracles in the Old Testament. Okay, let's, let's look at what some of them are. Jesus affirmed creation. He affirmed Adam and Eve that Cain murdered Abel. He affirmed that Noah built an ark and there was a worldwide flood. He affirmed that there was a person by the name of Abraham and there was a lot. And he affirmed that Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed by fire. He affirmed that Lot's wife did turn into a pillar of salt. One of the shortest sermons ever in the Bible was preached by Jesus, and it was this short, remember Lot's wife. That was the sermon. You're dismissed. You can go home now. Okay. <laughs> remember Lot's wife. So he affirms that. He affirms that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were not only historical people, but he even took it a, a step further. He said God is not the God of the dead, but he's the God of the living, he affirmed that they were alive somewhere. So Jesus affirmed that. He affirmed that God spoke to Moses in the burning bush, that Israel was fed with manna in the wilderness. He affirmed the Genesis story by Moses, 
that the brazen serpent was lifted up, and those who looked at the serpent was healed from the snake bites. He affirmed David. He affirmed David of the Psalms. He affirmed that there was a Solomon. He affirmed Elijah and Elisha and their miracles. He even affirmed there was a guy by the name of Jonah who got swallowed by a big fish. Because some people say, how in the world could I ever believe that? Let me tell you why I believe it. Because Jesus believed it. And someone said this, I'm believing in the guy who rose from the dead. If he believed it, I'm, th I'm believing it too. So Jesus is affirming these miracles. He's affirming that Isaiah wrote prophetically. He's affirming that Daniel wrote prophetically. So all these things that we see as miraculous and miracles that sometimes people say, do you really believe that Jonah got swallowed by a whale or fish? And do you really believe that there were people in the fire that didn't get burned up? Do you really believe in a worldwide flood? Do you really believe that uh, Noah built an ark? Do you really believe that Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed? Well, if I didn't have any confirmation, maybe I'd have my doubts. But let me tell you, I went through and Jesus affirmed every one of those miracles in every one of those accounts. So for me to say I believe in Jesus, but I don't believe in those, how many of you know you're conflicted already? Come on now. If you say, well, I believe in Jesus, but I don't believe that those things happen, you're already conflicted because the one you say you believe in supported those and believed in those and even the Jews in John chapter 8 when they said Abraham's our father and Jesus you know, responded to them and he said if Abraham was your father you'd believe in me because your, Abraham, your father Abraham saw my day and rejoiced in it and, and they said well you're not even 50 years old. You say you saw our father Abraham. He said before Abraham was I am. I said this last week. The Jews didn't kill Jesus because he performed miracles. They didn't kill Jesus because he loved people and did good and, and uh, because he, he did this or that. Let me tell you why the Jews killed Jesus, because he, he said he was God, basically. That's why they killed him. And if he wasn't who he said he was, they should have killed him because it was blasphemy. But he is who he says he is, amen? So that is the reason they crucified him. Uh, it is interesting that in the conversation between Pilate and Jesus, um, they're, they're saying he, he's saying that he's king of the Jews, and Pilate says, are you king of the Jews? And Jesus really in his own way said, are you saying this because you believe that, or do you hear that from somebody else? And then we get in the conversation about those who, you know, believe in me, believe in the truth, and, and Pilate says, well, what is truth? And I always wondered, I wish he had waited around for the answer because I would like to see what Jesus would have said, what is truth. So if we say we're believers and then we have doubts about some of these things that we see that are miraculous in the Old Testament, then I think we have to come to some kind of congruity and some kind of agreement that if Jesus said these were real miracles, real people, real events, then you and I have to come to the conclusion, if Jesus believed in them, then we too believe in them. 
Now let's shift gears, and we're we're past my time. Uh, But I want to give you just uh, some things that you might think about. So when Jesus began to perform his miracles, one of the things, it's not just the miracle, and certainly that's it, but there again, what is he showing? I am beyond time, I'm beyond space, and I'm beyond matter. Okay? So you say, why is that important? Because the characteristics of God are those characteristics. And now Jesus comes along, and he's invited to a wedding. I don't know if he really wanted to go, but I think Mary said, come on, this is our kinfolks, we need to go. And he goes, and you know the story, they ran out of wine, and Mary sent the, the party to Jesus and said, uh, hey, your mom said you could help us out here. Uh, th- that's really not what the scripture says, but how many of you get what I'm saying here? So um, Jesus tells them what to do, and in the process of them carrying the water uh, to the governor of the feast, the water turns into wine. So is that beyond the natural? Yes. So the matter of water turned into to a different substance, wine. So Jesus is beyond it, right? Um, there's the multiple healings and the miracles. I mean, I went back to look at all the healings he did. How many of you know he did one healing after another? I mean, people who had leprosy, they were blind, they were lame, uh, they had withered hands. I mean, just one, they had fevers. Uh, some were uh, demon-possessed. He cast out the demons. Um, the draught of the fish, cast your net on the other side. I mean, that's a miracle. People raised from the dead. He fed them multitudes. I mean, we could go from one miracle to another miracle to another miracle. Let me tell you what it proves. He's beyond matter. He operates outside of physical laws. He operates outside of natural forces. He can speak to nature, and nature obeys him. He can cause the fish to run into the net. So the fish says, let's get together. I don't know why, but we need to go over here. So he is beyond the natural, and what do we call that? It is the supernatural. So those are the things that Jesus did. Now, in that dialogue with uh, Pilate that I mentioned a while ago, if we could just understand some of the things that he said, not just to his disciples, but to people who didn't even believe in him, then we would know that there is a kingdom, there is a realm beyond the natural world. He said, if you are the king of the Jews. He said, now listen, let's not get caught up in semantics here. If my kingdom was of this world, my disciples would fight for me. But this is what he's saying. My kingdom is not of this world. So what Jesus is saying with the kingdom statement, and the angels could come and fight for me, Jesus is acknowledging there is another world beyond what you know. There are other beings beyond what you know. So when we look at the life of Jesus, what he confirmed in the Old Testament and the statements he made in the New Testament, then we have to come to the conclusion that our apologia or our belief system is there is another world beyond this world. And there are other beings beyond these beings that I'm looking at right here. They're spiritual, supernatural beings. And I think it was C.S. Lewis who said one time, when sometimes you just can't get content in this world, you have to realize maybe you were made for another world. 
Wow, isn't that a great statement? And so you and I are not just made for this world. We were made for another world, and that is the world beyond this world, and that's where we're going when we die or Jesus Christ comes back after us. Stand with me, I'm done. Did I give you anything to think about tonight? Would you join me up here? Let's pray, then we're going to leave. But let me tell you, it's so important that we believe what we believe and that we can give an answer of why we believe that, especially young people. So I want you to really feel and know that you have a great faith. You have a great foundation and platform of why we do and we believe what we believe. You know what I'm thinking? I'm thinking you're going to come across somebody, someone's going to ask you a tough question, and you're just going to have more things to share with them, and you're going to have the apologia. You're going to give them a reason of why you believe what you believe. How many feel like you know just a little bit more than maybe when you walked in? And I know a little bit more than before I presented this teaching to you. I, I just know that we are always learning. We're always growing. We're always uh, growing in our faith. Father, we are here in your presence. And God, I'm so thankful for the truth that you've revealed to us. And God, we acknowledge that that truth is so, so high and deep and wide and long that we would never even reach the bottom of it. Lord, we, we understand it's a mystery in some way, but we are trying to know what we can, to ascertain what we can, to, to have information from your word and revelation by the Holy Spirit. So, Lord, as we live our life and as we interact in our schools and our workplaces with family and friends, God, let us be lights in dark places. Let us draw people to you by our testimony and by the work of the Holy Spirit, the very presence of God within us. So, Lord, let us be not just the people who gather together doing the same old thing just because that's what we do, but that's who we are because we believe in you. And our faith is based on solid ground. So, Lord, today, thank you for the truth because you are the truth. You are the way. You are the life. And Lord, we embrace that. We, we love you because of who you are. And God, let not the enemy deceive us or try to turn us away from where you are taking us. And for that, we are thankful and we give you praise in Jesus' holy name. And everybody said, amen. We are so thankful you joined us today. We would love to hear from you at Podcast at gmail.com. Let us know how you are encouraged and how we can pray for you. Remember, Christ in you is the hope of glory, and hope changes everything.